War. Is it ever justifiable from a Christian worldview? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. And welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. I'm your host today, Toby Logsdon. Today is August the 29th of year 2007, and we are just thankful to have you here with us today. We count that as a blessing. So thank you for tuning in. Today we're going to be talking about war and uh, whether it's ever justifiable from a Christian worldview. Before I start, uh, I want to, to throw a disclaimer out there, and that is that, you know, I'm not claiming to be the ultimate authority here as far as war or violence goes. Uh, these are just my opinions that I'm expressing here today, and I'm trying to uh, to incorporate several viewpoints, several different possibilities that we as Christians can use in our worldview and uh, our position regarding war. So um, take this with a grain of salt, and you know it's just something to think about. You know, I'm uh, this isn't something that that I necessarily am personally completely convinced of one way or the other. But these are just some of my thoughts on it. I've received a couple emails from you guys about you know whether the the war in Iraq or Afghanistan is justified or or any of that stuff. And you know I'm I'm honestly not even going to talk about any specific wars. I'm just going to talk about kind of violence and, and war in general. Is it ever justified for a Christian? And if so, you know, can we support that with Scripture? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Real quick, let's get a couple announcements out of the way. Uh, as always, I'm sorry. hate to throw this at you guys every time, but it's got to be done, I suppose. But uh, anyway, for those of you who want the abortion booklet that I wrote, uh, it's now available. Until we run out of supplies, everybody who makes a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org is going to get a copy of this book. And of course, you know, if you if you can't afford to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org or, or Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, you know, I don't want that to be a burden for you. And I want to get one of these in your hands anyway, if it's something that you want. So if you can't afford to make a donation, just, uh, just get in touch with me. Send me an email. Just scroll down on the right-hand side on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Org, and you'll find a contact box. You can write me an email in there, and uh, we'll get one to you one way or the other. And of course, anybody who wants to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org, all you have to do is go to the website and go to the, if you scroll down on the right-hand side, you'll see um, a box that says uh, Donate or uh, or support and you can you can make a donation through PayPal there either through an e-check or with a credit card whichever works better for you and of course that's only if you feel like the Lord is leading you to support our ministry because we do have server costs and hopefully you know that'll that'll be a blessing to you but anyway I hope you guys are having a great week and uh, you're feeling blessed and those of you who started school this week are are feeling like you're going to make it I start school tomorrow, so I'm right there with you. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started today. You know, when I told my wife that I was going to be talking about war today, she said, she she told me basically that I must be out of my mind because this is a very, very sensitive issue. There are a lot of opinions regarding war and, regar- and regarding violence and, and things like that. And she thought, you know, you must be trying to lose your listeners or something. But, you know, hopefully... 
uh, my, my hope anyway, is that you guys just respect the fact that I don't try to, to dodge the issues. You know, I'm not afraid to, to talk about things because Christians have to live in a world that has a lot of issues going on. And uh, so, you know, I'm not afraid to, to talk about those things and to throw ideas around. And hopefully, you know, you guys respect that. And that's how you uh, approach this lesson as well. So, uh, you know, just looking at at um, at war in general, there are three basic categories that a person would fall under. First of all, there would be the activist, and the activist would basically say that the Christian should participate in any war that his government is is engaged in, because government is ordained by God. That's one view. The second view is pacifism, which uh, which basically says, you know, as as you probably know, that Christians should never engage in war. We should never condone violence. We should always avoid war, no matter what the consequence would be. That's what pacifism would say. And then the, the third category would be selectivism, which basically just says that, you know, Christians, it's okay for us to participate in some wars, but not others. And we're going to talk about each one of these three categories and, you know, the, the biblical support for each category. And, you know, I'm not promoting one view over another. I understand that this isn't, you know, it's not a salvation issue. This has nothing to do with, uh, with whether you go to heaven or not. I just thought this would be, you know, maybe kind of food for thought. So let's talk about activism first. And like I said, activism says that you should always engage in war if your government is engaged in war. So Christians should uh, should join the military and uh, should fully support the war if their government is engaged in it. And this goes back to basically the belief that government is ordained and established by God because order is uh, is from God. And so because orders from God, disorder is against God. And to oppose your government would be promoting disorder. One of the verses that the activist will commonly reference is Exodus 21, verses 23 through 25, which says, uh, you know, you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So basically, if there's any wrongdoing going on in the world, then we should be actively engaged in stopping any injustice from occurring. Now, for the activist, they would basically tell you that because government is ordained by God and established by God, it would uh, it would necessarily follow that if you're disobeying your government or if you're not uh, supporting your government when they go to war, then you're disobeying God. Now, we know that God has ordained governments, you know, from verses such as Matthew twenty-two twenty-one, when Jesus says that we should give unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. Jesus also said to Pilate uh, when he was being tried in John chapter 19, verse 11, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above, that is, from God. So Jesus is basically affirming that the government of which Pilate was a part was ordained by God. We also know that Paul told Titus, in his letter to Titus, chapter 3, verse 1, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. And then, of course, Peter made the same thing clear. He said, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, 
whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, that is, sent by God. So, you know, there's no question that the government is established and ordained by God. Let's also not forget Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, which says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The support for activism, you know, goes back as far as Plato, who wrote in his uh, in his dialogue, Crito, he gave a few reasons why we should never, ever disobey a government. The first reason that Plato gives is basically uh, saying that government is man's parent. That is, because the government is established, you aren't born into a state of chaos or anarchy. You're not born into a jungle out in the wild. You're born into a place where there are rules and where there's civilization, where things such as murder and stealing are against the law, and those laws are enforced. That's the first reason that Plato gives. The second reason that he gives is that government is man's educator. That is, you are a literate person and a thinking person and an intelligent person because you've been trained by your government. The government has created institutions that you can learn in. The government has given you training for uh, for vocations. The government has provided an atmosphere in which you can thrive, in which civilization can thrive through education and other means. The next reason that Plato gives is basically that if somebody accepts the privileges that are granted by government, such as a safe place to live, laws, education, you know, all of those things, then you are, therefore, when you accept those privileges, you're also agreeing to accept the responsibility to obey your government's laws and its jurisdiction and submit to its authority. And he gives a few other reasons, but uh, the last one that we're going to cover here is that people who live under a government when the, the government is not at war are free to leave if they don't like the government. And that's kind of like the saying, you know, love it or leave it. But, you know, in wartime, it's kind of too late. Do you love the freedom that you have when we're not at war? Well, then you have to respect the authority of the government when they go to war as well. So that's the activist position in a nutshell. Basically, you know, that we don't have the right to uh, to object to our government going to war, and we should support them wholeheartedly. Of course, you know, that has biblical and, uh, and philosophical reason supporting it. Now, the second position that we're going to talk about is that of pacifism, which, again, says that it's never right, it's never morally right to participate in violence or to participate or engage in war. And just like activism, there are both biblical and philosophical reasons for uh, for accepting pacifism. Let's talk about the, the biblical arguments first. First of all, you know, a pacifist can draw support for his position by uh, by pointing to the Old Testament. One of the Ten Commandments was that you shall not kill. Although I should first point out that some pacifists have rejected the authority of uh, of Scripture completely, saying that the wars in the Old Testament, which God commanded the the Hebrews or the nation of Israel to engage in, were not really commanded by God, but that, uh, you know, the, the Hebrews or the nation of Israel were kind of barbaric people, uh, less civilized people. And so they came up with this justification that God told them to do it, even though he really didn't. So some pacifists completely reject the authority of Scripture by making that assertion. 
But we also know that uh, that Jesus said, love your enemies. You know, anyone can, can love the people who like you, your friends, your family, anybody can love them, but love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44. And of course, he also said, anyone who strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That's Matthew five thirty nine. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So uh, that verse is basically saying that we're supposed to love our enemies and to do exactly what they're not doing to us. We're feeding them. We're taking care of them and trying to overcome them with our love instead of by uh, by force. We also know that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, Peter, you know, he drew his sword out and he cut the ear off of one of the Roman soldiers. And Jesus instructed Peter at that point, put your sword away for all who take the sword perish by the sword. So that gives us kind of a, a feel for the biblical support for pacifism. And sure, there, there is, uh, there's a lot of uh, scriptural support for pacifism in the Bible. That's, that's undeniable. You know, they can use scripture to, uh, to support their position. But let's also look at some of the philosophical or, or, or social arguments that pacifists will use to support their position. First of all, they'll say that, uh, that war is based on the evil of greed. Plato wrote, We need not say yet whether war does good or harm, but only that we have discovered its origin in desires, which are the most fruitful source of evils both to individuals and to states. And then Plato later says, All wars are made for the sake of getting money. That's one thing a pacifist will say. Another thing that a pacifist will will say to to support their position is that war results in you know in evil. It results in innocent people dying. It results in people uh you know being subjected to torture. It involves people dying. There's no question about it. War brings out the ugliest side of humanity. Uh, so that's another thing that a pacifist will say. And, you know, a final thing that a pacifist would say is that one war just leads to other wars. As I've mentioned before in the podcast, you know, after World War One, people thought that world wars were over. But it was only, you know, 20, 25 years later in which the United States found ourselves at war yet again in the Second World War. And so the First World War didn't really solve anything. Actually, if you trace it back, the First World War, in a sense, caused or resulted in the Second World War. So their basic argument is that war doesn't really solve anything and that we can solve a lot more problems in the world with love and with peace. You know, it's kind of funny as you listen to these and as you read these ancient arguments both for and against war, we see the same arguments today, you know, thousands of years later after these things were written by, by Plato and, you know, from the Bible. I just find that uh, that tidbit of information kind of kind of interesting. Anyway, the third category that someone can fall into, this is actually the category that I personally fall into. I'm not sure there's a right or wrong category here. I think every category has its valid points. But the category that I fall into is I'm a selectivist. And selectivist basically holds that some wars are justifiable while others are not justifiable. So then that leads to the question, well, what makes a war justifiable? But before we talk about that, let me let me just 
briefly explain why I'm not uh, why I'm not an activist. First of all, I'm not an activist because the Bible teaches that it's not always right to obey your government and everything that it tells you to do. The the one instance in which you should never obey your government is if they're telling you to do something that God tells you not to do. If if the government is saying, don't worship God, and God's saying, worship me, well, God gets priority there. And of course, there are examples of that in Scripture. Uh, from the book of Daniel, we find that Daniel broke a law commanding him not to pray. The three Hebrews who were thrown into the inferno uh, in Daniel chapter 3, uh, they all broke the law. The early apostles disobeyed the government's orders not to preach the gospel. We find that in Acts. And, uh, of course, then there's uh, there's Jesus' parents who brought him, you know, out of the country because there was an order to kill all infants. And so instead of having their infant killed, instead of obeying their government, they fled. They got out of there. So there's definitely reason to support, you know, that we don't have to obey the government all the time. We only have to obey them when they're not contradicting God's word. I also think we can reject outright pacifism. You know, Jesus did say in Matthew 26:52, uh put your put your sword away for whoever lives by the sword will die by it also. But let's not overlook the fact that in Luke 22:36, Jesus instructed his disciples, let him who has no sword sell his mantle and buy one. So Jesus didn't want them using swords to spread the gospel, but he also wanted them to have the ability to defend themselves when they went into dangerous territory. And uh, a pacifist can't look at, you know, holding a weapon as a viable option. So I reject outright pacifism for that reason. Let's also not overlook the fact that when John the Baptist was asked by soldiers, uh, you know, where they should, uh, you know, stay where they are or what what they should do, he said... Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So my my gathering from this is that, you know, they asked him, are we supposed to stay where we are? And instead of, you know, him telling them to leave the army, instead he says basically, you know, just be fair, be just. And that's what we're looking at here. What makes a war just? So uh, let's come up with a, a few criteria that, you know, these, these go back to, you know, very early times. Aquinas really developed these uh, these points, but we're not going to cover every point. Let me just run through a few here. First of all, in order to engage in war, we believe that it has to be just. So uh, a war must be just. There has to be a good reason to go into a country or wage war against a country. The first point is that a war in defense of innocent people is just. For example, you know, when uh, when Nazi Germany was trying to eliminate the Jewish race from existence, we had a right to go in there because they were killing innocent people. And that gives us the right to go in. That's one, that's one point that uh, justifies going into war. The second point is that there has to be a good motive for going in. If your motive is anything other than something just, so you know, if if your if your motive is going in for money or for uh, for obtaining more land or for obtaining natural resources, uh, that's not a justifiable reason to wage war. The third point is that a justifiable war has to be waged or engaged in by a government. So, uh, you know, we get that from Romans 13.4, which, you know, basically tells us that God has ordained governments and given them the sword. He put the sword in their hands. He didn't give it to individuals. So therefore, you know, it's not morally permissible to uh, to join a rogue group or to uh, 
to wage war unless you are the the head of the government. The fourth point is that a war, a justifiable war, has to be fought proportionately. And basically that means, you know, if if somebody has, um, you know, just their fists, you can't defend yourself with a gun. That's not justifiable. Uh, when we bombed, you know, Japan, a lot of people still question about whether that was a moral decision or not. I mean, we killed a lot of innocent people who weren't fighting against us. You know, they were just living their daily lives. Their government was waging war against us, but we killed, you know, hundreds of thousands of innocent people with two bombs, you know, when they weren't doing anything to deserve being killed. And that also goes for chemical warfare. You know, chemical warfare kind of kills blindly. It just goes, you know, uh, what happens is like when when Saddam Hussein, for example, uh, waged chemical warfare against some people in his own country, um, you know, it kills blindly. It kills everybody. It doesn't just kill the people that you're aiming for. It kills absolutely everybody. So uh, there's a question as to whether or not that is a morally permissible option as well. It's also morally impermissible to uh, to destroy the land. If you read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 19, God told Israel, When you lay siege to a city for a long time, fighting against it to capture it, do not destroy its trees by putting an axe to them, because you can eat their fruit. Do not cut them down. So in other words, you know, the, the country of Israel was specifically instructed not to destroy the, the ability of the land to produce food or to be a sustainable place for people to live. And of course, you know, going back to, to Japan again, the, the Japan example, you know, we destroyed that place so that, you know, we don't know when people are going to be able to live there, you know, without any risk at all. We don't know how long that risk is going to be present in those areas. So anyway, you know, these are just a few points for you to to think about, a few things for you to to chew on, so to speak. You know, like I said, I don't know if there's a right or wrong position, but one thing I think we can all agree on, and that is that war was never a part of God's original plan. And someday he's going to come back and he's going to establish peace on earth once and for all, and nobody's going to take that away from us. But for those of you who have written me emails asking about, you know, whether war is is justifiable for a Christian or not, I hope this kind of answers your question in a sense. But uh, I just wanted to give you a little bit of something to to think about, you know, some some options to consider. And, you know, each position there has both, you know, scriptural and philosophical reasoning behind it. So, um, you know... We always want to take scripture into consideration whenever we're making any type of decision, especially a moral decision. So uh, hopefully this has helped you guys. But anyway, if nothing else, I hope this has been at least a little bit interesting for everybody. But uh, I hope you guys have a great week. God bless you, and thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great three-day weekend coming up, a great Labor Day weekend. It's going to be nice for me. We're going down to the beach. I can't wait. Anyway, I will talk to you guys later. God bless you. Thank you for listening today.